bro did you did you remember to hit record yeah i did we're recording okay i didn't um but it's oh fine oh my everybody the podcast where we explore the hard-hitting questions about earth existence and the unknown i'm aj parent with me as always is judson martin all the way from no don't we're just not gonna like share my my information oh okay no no no. i'm gonna keep that in but i'm gonna bleep it out okay so that's fine just as long as yeah. you remember to do that but check in the uh, but check in the show notes for his full address we are recording virtually because we made a big mistake we're gonna go to the studio essentially we're gonna drive to the studio because we're in different states right now and meet up to record an episode well it turns out the day we showed up uh they changed the schedule and they closed no biggie last episode turned out perfect it is it's a bummer but it's okay yeah yeah no um we got some exciting stuff to talk about spoiler for the episode aliens exist i mean maybe not well maybe not based on what we talk about in this episode but i still think they exist just not certain if this episode in my opinion i don't know if they're in this episode's topic or not i don't know judd would you like to start with talking about the building blocks of life or should we work our way into that i'd say work our way into it yeah let's just start with this so earth is not the only planet to have water on it um i knew that this was true but i didn't know actually the extent to which this was true, because there's actually multiple locations in the solar system that have water, known water. So let's start with Saturn. Okay, we've got two moons at least. Now, Saturn has 146 moons, which is just nuts because I... 146 moons? Are you joking? Like, obviously, yeah. that that means the threshold for like what they consider a, you know, a satellite or a moon is pretty has to be pretty small. But the sizes of these 146 moons still range from a sports arena all the way to the planet Mercury. Yeah, I don't. I guess I don't really know what they consider a satellite versus a moon. I would have to be something that I have to look that up. Yeah, but so two of Saturn moons, Saturn's moons, we know to have water, and that's Titan and Enceladus. We're going to get into Enceladus later. But then there's also three on Jupiter, which is Europa, Ganymede, and Callisto, and then Neptune's moon Triton which I think NASA might be planning a mission far out there in, in, in the far future. Maybe that was just a James Cameron film that I'm getting uh, confused on. But Pluto also has water. Not a planet, I, I guess, but yeah, has water. Judd? So well, basically what I just looked up the difference between a moon and a satellite. Okay. And they're the same thing. Well, we kind of knew that, but like... Basically, a moon versus satellite is just to distinguish between like a man-made object versus a um a man-made object versus like a natural object. But okay. like a satellite would actually be the more technical term for something that planets in orbit. So a moon is actually a satellite, Ooh. and not the other way around, which you might think of. But I don't know. That's cool. Okay. Um. Okay, so back to water. Venus and Mars don't have water, but we believe, based on our our evidence, that they 
once had oceans and billions of years ago they dried up so they've been um they've been dry for a while kind of like my bank account well, um isn't there well there's water on mars it's just not water it's ice uh yeah so well so that was the next thing i was going to say is that people at nasa now believe that mars has subsurface water and the reason they're saying that possibly is because Judd, you ever seen like at a on a limestone cliff or some kind of rock cliff? There's kind of like dark streaks on it. You can see where, you know, water. Yeah, you can look at different water levels or carbon. I know, like in the ice, they look at like amount of carbon in the atmosphere and stuff like that. You can tell. It, right. So they think they've spotted stuff like that on Mars, um, which would point to the fact that Mars, in fact, does have water. So let's hope those uh, rovers out there are looking in the right spots. Okay, but let's go back to Enceladus here. Enceladus was one of the moons of Saturn that I said had water. And Enceladus is the sixth largest of Saturn's moons, so it's up there in that list of 146. It's very icy on the surface, so icy. It is the the most reflective body in our solar system. It's like looking at your forehead, Judd. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's pretty nuts. (laughs) Just give it a little bit while I, like, tan, you know? Are you joking, bro? I... I saw you last weekend, dude. You've been spending way too much time out in the sun. That's just my arms and stuff, though, you know, from the from the landscape and stuff. But I think... Yeah. I just think you could find a pace to your head is all I'm saying. Yeah, it's true. You're turning into like a French fry, dude. You're getting baked. Um, <laughs> there's, a better por- there's a better forehead. Yeah. Okay, so then... Interesting thing about Enceladus. It's only 500 kilometers across. It's literally the size of the UK in diameter. So, like, it's just this tiny little thing in, in fact if you were standing on it the gravity would be one one hundredth of the earth which is so little that you would need to be tethered to the surface because a little too much bounce and you would lose control essentially i just i'm thinking of like a um a leash around a child and then a mom like <laughs> carrying it around you know? so far into the future when people are vacationing here you're saying is those monkey backpacks or whatever that moms would use at airports are going to make a comeback <laughs> on the moon. I mean, that's different. That's just like, but that's not tethering <laughs> you to the ground. That's just tethering yeah. you to like, you're carrying them. So you're basically holding, your mom is holding on to you for dear life if they're going to put you on No, a I'm leash. talking about a literal leash. Oh, yeah. Oh, geez. A literal leash. But it's like hooked <laughs> to the ground. I, don't I know. wonder, yeah. Yikes. Um. Okay, so let's see. Another interesting, okay, so we talked about that it's icy. It's icy because, get this, maybe that's a spoiler. Too bad, I'm going to say it anyway. It's covering a subsurface ocean, guys. There is a deep ocean under the ice of Enceladus. And we know this. We'll get into that. Okay, slow down, buddy. We'll get into it. And then another thing that we'll have to explain later is the fact that we know it has a warm south pole. So the southern tip of this moon is incredibly warm. And not just because it's like, pointed towards the sun or something judd we've introduced enceladus now i think we need to talk about i I started this episode with a bold claim saying that aliens exist in our solar system while that may or may not be true we're gonna need to know what the building blocks of life are so maybe you can fill us in on that sure so in order for there to be life for life to form there's five different elements that need to be present we need carbon hydrogen nitrogen oxygen i'm sorry there's six that's why i said <laughs> yeah if you I, didn't no, hear I heard me you, i you said, said six. six you said six definitely yeah. yeah um 
Anyways, they're carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, and sulfur. So the, f the first time we've ever detected phosphorus outside of Earth, in any ocean outside of Earth, was on um, Enceladus. So that's right. pretty exciting. Yes. Because, I mean, we believe that it's out there on other planets and in other planets that have oceans, but this is the first time we ever detected it. And you might yeah. be asking, okay, how do we detect this? So we haven't really introduced it too much yet, but Cassini, which was a, a probe that we had that was circling Saturn, uh, a spacecraft that we had circling Saturn, collecting evidence and things, flew through Saturn's rings. Enceladus creates one of Saturn's rings called the E-ring. And this ring comes from these large, essentially volcanoes that are spewing out water from the subsurface ocean. Right. Um, and the reason it's able to do that is, again, because Enceladus has a hundredth of the gravity of Earth, so it's not very heavy. Yeah. So the Cassini spacecraft flew through one of these rings, this E-ring, and s detected phosphorus. So that tells us, okay, it's in the oceans there because it's coming from the volcanoes. Yeah. Um, and so each of these elements plays a different role in, in life, but the important one here is phosphorus because it's crucial in the uh, creation of DNA bases and cell membranes, which are some of the extremely important parts of, of life as we know, because yeah. we have those, plants have those, everything on Earth. Um, that's that's those things. the interesting question in my mind is like, <clears throat> the question in my mind is, if we discover life on another planet, do we expect it to be like life on Earth? Do we expect it to be based on DNA? We can't say that for certain. I mean, there was at one point, we would have thought it was crazy to say that there was life outside of Earth. But now that we, you know, are starting to understand the scale of the universe and say that's not true, and we, we understand that that is, you know, kind of, um, kind of self-centered or, um, it, it kind of unintelligent to say that there couldn't be life somewhere else in the universe. So at the same time, isn't it also just as hard headed to say, well, if life does exist, it has to be like this life on our planet. I'm not a biologist by any means, you know, maybe we need to have our roommate our other roommate on here and have him talk about this. But all I know is there's not any other life on earth that doesn't have DNA of some kind. Fair enough. You know, that's Fair enough. crucial for life as we know it. And I think it's just because it's such an important part of the cell and how it, it like reproduces itself. Like that's the splitting of the DNA is how a cell reproduces. But riddle me this, Judd, don't we all come from common ancestors that evolved on our planet? So if those common ancestors created DNA, wouldn't it make sense that it was also passed down to every other being on the planet versus if it started, well, if there were blueprints started elsewhere in the universe uh, made, you know, differently, might we also see the same trend? Well, I think so, like, as far as DNA turning into, like, life and things like that, or I mean, like, life coming from nothing i think what happens right. is it's how it starts is just a a random kind of lucky reaction like all these six yeah. 
elements are right there. There's some sort of heat that yeah. creates some chemical reaction and creates the energy it needs. Yeah. a DNA, a strand of DNA. I'm not prepared to say all that. I don't even know if all that's true, whether, you know, how that all works. No, you heard it here first, folks. They All these elements get together for a party where it's warm um, and life just happens. If Don't question it, all right? Judson said it. You heard it here first. It's no, you know, it just makes sense to me. I it does make sense. Right. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. Um, let's keep it moving here. Uh, let's keep moving. So we've been talking about Enceladus and its relation to uh, Saturn. It's a moon on Saturn. Now we have observed Enceladus on multiple occasions. We're not just constantly looking at it through a telescope. You know, there's not, there's only so much you can learn through a telescope. So let's say here. The first close-up look we had of Saturn in general was from Pioneer 11, the space probe. And then Voyager 1 and 2, uh, more spacecraft, they flew by essentially on their way out of the solar system. And they were what helped us start to understand uh, the rings of Saturn a little bit more. So that's pretty cool. Um, But then Cassini, that is like the cream of the crop when it comes to spacecraft that has observed saturn so we sent cassini out in 1997 and it took seven years to get there um so that's a pretty boring flight through space for seven years Um, but it arrives in 2004 and for 13 years it studied saturn and uh satellites of saturn including enceladus so the first direct samples of saturn's atmosphere were taken from cassini and it actually flew by Enceladus 20 times during the total of 147 orbits of Saturn in those 13 years. And in the final uh, flyby of Enceladus, which we'll get into, it decreased the distance that it flew by from 1,000 kilometers to 170 kilometers. And this is because yeah. they de- started to detect stuff that they were like, this is pretty cool. Let's, you know, take a, a literal closer look. Let's get closer. And so that's what they did. Yeah, I'm going to jump ahead here um, actually and talk about the Cassini spacecraft because okay, I can explain to you how this, you know, this energy, how the spacecraft provides energy. So Cassini was launched on the Centaur launch vehicle, which is just a beast, a workhorse. We'll have to do an episode on it, but um, it's a huge, huge launch vehicle that was used uh, consistently throughout the 20th century and was at the time uh, Cassini was the largest interplanetary spacecraft ever constructed. It was six thousand pounds or six thousand kilograms excuse me on launch and half of that was fuel uh which was you know promptly used up to exit the atmosphere and then it was 6.8 meters in length and four meters high so 6.8 meters is pretty pretty big you know that's over 21 feet okay so here's how the energy was produced in cassini so there's a lot of instruments on board and it's not just like they can pop in the like the duracell bunny doesn't arrive and drop off triple a batteries or double a batteries for them to put in uh the spacecraft that's going to last you know 13 years so what they have is this is the coolest energy generation system i've ever heard of not it's maybe not the best uh you know because it might be outdated but it's cool so listen so there are things called radioisotope thermoelectric generators so they use the heat that's generated from radioactive decay of plutonium dioxide to generate electricity they're literally preying off the fact that the plutonium is releasing heat as it decays. And for each of sweet. these, yeah, 
Yeah, they're called RTGs. Um, and for each of them, it can produce 300 watts. Wow. I don't, I'm, I didn't miss that's that stat. I don't know if that's like per hour or whatever, but, and I'm, I don't even study electricity, but 300 is a big number, guys. So, I mean, I mean, yeah, 300 watts is no small amount of energy, especially when you're talking about just the decay of plutonium, which is, you think of as a very large, over a very large time scale. So not, not a lot of energy each time. Yeah. Okay, Judd. Um, I am so excited to tell everybody about why there is life on Enceladus. But before we do that, I think we should take a break. What do you think? Let's do it. All right. We'll be back with you shortly. We said we're now going to divulge our secrets on what Cassini has discovered for Enceladus specifically, right? Yeah. So divulge our secrets. We discovered this. It's a trade secret. First, you're hearing it here first. I mean, I was on board. I, I just got back. It was a crazy trip. Yeah, I mean, subscribe to university, please. Okay. Speaking of subscribe, like 5,000 people now? That's crazy numbers. Yeah, on... Uh... On Instagram, our Instagram page has been blowing up. Yeah, I mean, I'm not one to focus on numbers, but it's just nice to, regardless of the video that people find interesting, it's nice to just like reach people, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, it's really cool. I mean, seeing the stats of thousands, hundreds of thousands of accounts reached is pretty cool. Okay, Cassini, man, <laughs> um, what a workhorse. So the first thing it revealed is that something was disturbing Saturn's magnetic field. I don't know much about magnetism. Judd knows some things about magnetism, but uh, apparently, knowing that something was disturbing Saturn's magnetic field, the scientists at NASA are like, okay, it's perhaps it's a gas originating from one of the moons, specifically Enceladus, you know, because it was it was morphing around Enceladus, and they're like, hmm, there must be something in the atmosphere. I feel like that's a, 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 a lyric, maybe, but I don't know. Yeah, I have no clue, man. I don't understand how a gas inhibits the magnetic field apparently they didn't teach that in in physics 232 you know that can't be my fault <laughs> no that's uh, it's the system i mean what what did neil degrasse tyson teach us it's the system yeah so we just have to no he said become a light we got to learn this on our own okay we got to figure this one out we're lifelong Life, learners lifelong man. learner yes no so we, they took a closer look at enceladus and boom what they found looking at this atmosphere was a giant global ocean of liquid salty water beneath the surface this water like judson said earlier in the episode it being spewed out by these you know icy volcanoes essentially um at 800 miles an hour again judson it makes sense now that you said you know because it the gravity's not that strong uh that force can really eject that water from you know the center of this planet well yeah if you've ever looked at like a volcano even just kind of like small activity like some of that yeah. stuff is just getting the pressure in there so strong yeah no it, it really is so they estimate that the ocean could be 30 or 40 kilometers deep in some spots some spots being the south pole because because we know the south pole of enceladus is warm looking at infrared using cassini um 
because it's warm there, it melts that ice crust a little bit better um, and makes room for more liquid water. Now, um, that might not be the only reason that this heat is um, here, and we'll get into that, but the ocean has to be global. I said global ocean because there's a swaying uh, motion of the ice crust, meaning it's floating, essentially, right? So it's not completely uh, solidified onto the planet itself. It's floating on top of an, a global ocean of water, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, that's. I mean, that makes me think of like the um, the interstellar scene. You know, they're on that that planet. It's just Ooh. a big ocean. Yes. Except for there's no ice there, but imagine we get there, uh, and that's what we find. I don't know. Well, it would normally be difficult. I also said it's a liquid, salty water ocean, and it would normally be difficult to capture salt particles in the atmospheric data that Cassini was collecting from these ejections, right? But because they were shot out of the moon with such great velocity at such low temperatures, it captures the salt in this these spews of ice chunks. Uh, because if you think about glaciers, for example, Judd, glaciers are fresh water, right? Because the salt, sure. it, it, the ice becomes desalinated. But in this instance, it stays in the water, which lets us read it. Yeah, that must be that must be a pressure thing rather than a a like a speed thing as well. Yeah, I guess. perhaps. Yeah. So on a planet with an icy uh, crust, you'd think that it's pretty cold. This is true, but not true everywhere because of something very important that they discovered in their atmospheric readings of Cassini, and this is silica nanograins. Now, the interesting thing about these grains is that they can only be created through chemical interactions that take place at temperatures of near 200 degrees Fahrenheit. I don't know about you, Judd, but I'm not sure of any frozen oceans that are 200 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, there's got to be liquid water, man. Right. I mean, that's so there's gas. Well, no, not quite gas, but... Ex yeah, there's hot water at the bottom of the ocean that is interacting with the water or the, with the rock at the very uh, bottom of the ocean and creating silicon nanograins. And you might be thinking, where's the heat coming from? Because that's pretty darn hot for an ocean. Um, I don't know the answer to that. I don't. But scientists predict that it's from a tidal mechanism, which with the constant pushing and pulling is generating enough heat or energy to heat the South Pole. I don't know. What do you think, Judd? Yeah, I guess. I never, I never would have like thought that the tide would create like that much heat. Um, yeah, heat and stuff. Uh, the only, uh, the only thing I think of is is pressure. But with less pressure, like less gravity, I think less. I mean, obviously, it's less heat. But yeah, I, I always like. Cassini gave us a lot of information. It seems like we've made a lot of hypotheses out of it, but yeah, some sort of other mission here would probably serve us pretty darn well because it sounds like we still have a lot of unknowns. Yeah, yeah great point. My guess is it's something to do, uh, more likely to do with volcanic activity or something geological, you know? Like you think about the origins of life on Earth. I didn't know about this, but um, the origins of life on Earth were from 
these nutrient-filled geyser areas on Earth, which were thought to be the beginnings um, yeah. or the place for the beginnings of life. So it makes sense that, like, if we they there's also these hot geysers on Cassini from this right. geological activity, you know. And that's what I was talking about earlier with the with the heat stuff. I mean, where that would be coming from is something similar to that because yeah, like these geysers here on Earth, the ones that we you know we've observed these, they have a lot of these these heavier earth metals or materials and elements or stuff that are coming up from the mantle or even lower and coming all the way through the crust into the ocean. And so these are the, the elements that create new life. Yeah. Judd, do you think, have you seen the pictures of the tiger stripes on this planet? Like the tectonic lines, essentially. You mean the on, on um, Enceladus? Right. Yeah. Enceladus, tiger stripes. I have not. So you're, you're probably looking at a picture of it now then. Um, yeah. It's, there's like these four lines on the South Pole. I think it's four. Is it four? Yeah. Yeah. So there's four lines on the South Pole, which is an indication of some, some tectonic activity, which would then again line up with, you know, there's all this heat and geyser activity and all this, like, there's a conundrum in the South Pole. Um, and so there's clearly some tectonic activity uh, rubbing, and that's where you get these tiger stripes that show up in infrared pictures. And the interesting thing is, it, we said Enceladus is like the shiniest um, shiniest object in our solar system. That's because, you know, where we would normally be seeing uh, impact crater or uh, craters from impacts, and stuff like that the surface of the moon is instead pretty geologically young which means there's a lot of uh tectonic activity happening that's erasing anything any indication of activity i think the thing that i love about this is i'm looking at this picture which was taken by the cassini spacecraft which is yeah. like i got this is a real picture of the planet and you can look up a real picture of saturn from like you can see the whole like not, you can't even see the whole planet that's how close yeah. that's how big saturn is and that's how close the spacecraft got so it's just so i don't know it's pretty cool it is sick they have pictures of there's these pictures of enceladus which is when the they sent the orbiter pretty close by to it yeah but they also have pictures of saturn so like looking at this picture of the tiger stripes this is an actual picture of the this isn't reconstructed well it is reconstructed some of its reconstructed infrared data but like it's it's a physical it's an actual picture you know it's not yeah necessarily all reconstructed data some of it's probably enhanced but yeah it's pretty cool it's pretty cool so we've combined now in the last five ten minutes data of or evidence of a salty global ocean with geysers with heat and salt, did I mention salt? And do you guys not remember salt. Judd saying all the carbon and hydrogen and nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, and sulfur? Are you impressed that I remember that, Judd? Yeah, those were, yeah. I'm kidding, I read it. Nice. We combined all that, and now alien hunters are getting excited because that is the secret ingredient. That's the sauce right there, you know? Sauce. Now, please tell me, Cassini, please tell me after all that hard work, Cassini got a good final send off, right? I mean, yeah, it got 
Well, so the idea was. I love tell you, when so you the realize idea was, I just am like softballing you like a pitch for the next thing. And like I see it in your eyes. It like clicks. Home run. <laughs> I just hit a dinger. Okay. The I, So Cassini was coming towards the end of its lifetime. It's running out of fuel. You know, we can't. We can't propel it out anymore away from Saturn. Um, so we're kind of, we're, we're deciding, okay, where are we going to send this rope? You know, where are we going to send this? So the idea was we don't want to send it to Cassini because if there's life there, we don't want to go bomb it like with the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs. You know, we don't want to do that. <laughs> so let's send it to Saturn, which... Um, it's going to have a, it has a thicker atmosphere, so it'll burn up more and, you know, it's not going to destroy the life on Cassini that we think might be there. So, so we sent that. it into Saturn's atmosphere and destroyed it. And on its way in, it got some of the, it didn't, they, they didn't get pictures because the idea was they wanted to measure what was in Saturn's atmosphere. So they took all of the. The probe can only send so much data back at once, so they took all of that bandwidth, all of that that data that they could send, and turned it all into the gave it all to the other scientific instruments instead of the pictures. That's nice. That's so sweet of them. The pictures is like no, no. As much as I want to capture this beautiful moment, I want the limelight. You, the true heroes, the scientific instruments, can have all the power. Well, yeah, because we've like on the uh, on other spacecraft that we've done that with, we've. We've done pictures of, yeah. of the of the crashes and stuff. So it was, but we wanted we needed the atmospheric data of from Saturn to, to kind That's of see true. what was going on there. Great final send off. Um, good thing they didn't fly into Enceladus. I mean, can you imagine if there were actual advanced aliens under the water that we haven't seen yet that somehow didn't get ejected by the geysers, but like this intelligent life that gets a rocket in in their ceiling essentially, and they're like, "The fuck is this?" I'm imagining the from avatar the water the water people <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> they're just like, living under mm, there yeah or no. like jar jar the jar jar binks society <laughs> oh the gungans the gungans we should do an episode on that no i'm kidding um <laughs> so yeah now cassini wasn't the last spacecraft to get sent we sent or well i mean it was the last spacecraft to get sent all the way out there but there's other spacecraft such as the james webb that can also give us great data on Enceladus. And so, Judge, you talked about the E-ring at the start of the episode. I, It's nice to make the connection that, okay, we see that there's geysers spewing out water, which we didn't know before we went to the planet for or to the moon for a close flyby. We didn't know there were geysers out there, so we didn't know what was creating one of Saturn's many rings. But now we can say, oh, duh, there's this moon orbiting and just ejecting water out behind it i don't know if it's that's if that's a wet fart or a piss or something like that Boy, but hold on yeah i guess so man i just want to interject and say like back to the star wars episode because that just got me thinking we need to do that next next may the 4th because like this last may the 4th we were oh, talking to neil degrasse tyson but like yeah. so like we can we can do that on the next May the 4th. We're freed know? up, yeah. I still can't yeah. believe Well, he, unless he wants to come back or something, but like, you know. We could talk Star Wars with him. Ooh, now there's one. I think he's done that on another um, show, so yeah, that might be a fun one. 
um, no, the James Webb Space Telescope got some pictures of Enceladus, and the this was why Enceladus was in the news recently, is because the images that they compiled um, found that these geysers shoot pretty darn far, 9,600 kilometers far, um, which is basically the size of Eurasia. So if you went from like Ireland all the way to the tip of Russia or Japan or whatever's uh, the farthest east when you're looking at Eurasia, um, that's a lot of distance to cover just from one geyser shooting out. And so James Webb was yeah. able to uncover that. And the we we know what's in the plumes, but the observations from James Webb have also led scientists to see, like this E-ring we were talking about, how water is feeding into the E-ring and hydrating not just this ring, but the rest of the Saturnian system. So the planet of Saturn and all the other moons giving them water. Not That's not to say that these other moons are grateful and know what to do with this water. They might not have any place to store it. It might bounce. I don't know. But there is a water cycle in the Saturnian system that is much different than what we would consider the water cycle on Earth, I guess. Yeah, and so like, like you said, it's just getting pissed out of enceladus and then saturn's drinking it and then it's peeing it back out somewhere else yeah wow that okay i hope nobody's eating their lunch while listening to this podcast yeah, but sorry, yeah that's, that's basically uh, how it works you said it first let's make no i didn't i never i'm gonna see what i'll do is i'll delete when i said it and then it just seems like you're a weirdo whatever that's fine no <laughs> now back to phosphorus phosphorus is also so it's one of the elements you're talking about. It's one of the ones that was only recently discovered that Enceladus had it. We've been sitting on this data since 2016 when Enceladus captured it, but it has taken a long time to process uh, this data because what researchers had to do is say, we know the different compounds that phosphorus pretty much naturally makes, and we know the molar masses of those compounds. Now, let's run a bunch of simulations um, with different combinations and see if it's possible at all that there, uh, with certainty, there had to be phosphorus within this um, clump of molecules that we collected from the atmosphere, and they were actually able to, they were able to find that. Um, and what's funny is it's at greater concentrations than would have been ever would have ever been predicted by the teams at NASA. You said phosphorus was the one that's connected to DNA. If that doesn't, you know, advance the possibility of life, I don't know what does. Yeah, no, I think it's it's very likely. I still think my only like withdrawal or, or that I'm not ready to commit to it is just the the like very weak gravity that it has. Yeah, that's my only um, reason that I'm not ready to like commit to saying okay, there's life. And when we're talking about life, I think it's important that we're we're clear that we're just talking about like single cell organisms or yeah. like very small multi-cell organisms like just bacteria yeah yeah i don't what are they called microorganisms yeah exactly yeah. um we're not talking about a doll like some we're not talking about the aliens like jar jar yeah no well you can't rule it out completely you can't rule it out completely okay I, roll your eyes all you want you can't you can't I, you haven't been there take your ice pick Get on the next flight, and you're welcome to go out there and check. Then I'm going to find Megatron. Last time I saw an ice pick or whatever, he dug through, and they got oh, 
suck down to woke up Megatron. Megatron, I think you're talking about a Megalodon. That's got to be the funniest you've ever said in your entire life. Megatron. I'm in the episode. I'm going to leave the episode. <laughs> no way. Bro said Megatron. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Don't you remember that part from the movie? Yeah, it's a Megalodon, though, not a Transformer. No, I'm talking about a Transformer. That's how they woke oh, up really? Megatron. Is I'm the Wiki's idiot? Grandpa was breaking through the ice, and then he oh. fell down and got. he woke up Megatron. Dang, I thought I got you there. All right. No, um, you're an idiot. <laughs> phosphorus is the most, the rarest bioessential ingredient in the universe. I don't know how scientists at NASA are able to say that, but like, that's to, to say that we're finding phosphorus on Enceladus at such great concentrations, knowing that it's so rare, that's, uh, that is pretty impressive. But that might be a bad thing. You know why? Because if this is one of the biggest ingredients for life and it's plentiful, well, it's probably not getting used, you know? It seems likely to me that, yeah, if we detected phosphorus on Earth, pretty likely to find it somewhere else in the solar system in the same solar system to me that makes sense yeah no i get what you're saying so you're saying why would phosphorus just be concentrated at earth clearly there it would be likely that it'd be concentrated elsewhere too yeah just in the same in the same solar system i think maybe well it's obviously super hard to detect anywhere else but it seems most likely that as far as the scale of the universe goes finding it here Finding it somewhere close makes more sense than finding it somewhere far away. Exactly. So phosphates, like we just said, high concentration in Enceladus's oceans. This is because the carbonates that are in the water are breaking down the rocky floor of the ocean of uh, Enceladus. And its phosphorus is then being released from this solid rock. And this lines up. We're not just, you know, you could say that about anything. Oh, it's probably breaking down and releasing this or this. You know, NASA could say that about anything. But... They're not just making it up. This happens on Earth, too. It's called a soda lake. And we call it a soda lake because the f concentrations of phosphorus are greater um, than normal lakes. And uh, Enceladus has a soda ocean with phosphorus concentrations that are greater by a factor of a thousand to the ocean of Earth. Is that where Coke comes from or like Mountain Dew or something? Yeah, yeah, We're actually, that's it. it back from Enceladus? Yep, they, that's that's it. Actually, that's what Big Big Soda doesn't want you to know is that they've secretly been running space missions out to did I say space space missions space. out to Enceladus to get us our fine beverages, um, all to destroy our team. Nice. It was all a big plan. And that's why I don't drink pop. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's why would they settle for a soda lake on Earth when they know they could get the highest concentrations of phosphorus in any body of water in the solar system? You know, I would too be building a rocket ship to get there. Phosphorus is what they put in Coca-Cola no. way back when to get you hooked. That's that's <laughs> where that's where McDonald's Sprite comes from. McDonald's Sprite oh. comes from Enceladus because it's so like what's the word like carbonated? It's so spicy. What about the Grimace shake? Oh, don't get me started on that. That's the <laughs> dumbest trend I've ever seen, bro. But hey, we can't rule out for certain that the Grimace shake doesn't actually kill you. So don't don't be going to try Grimace that Grimace came from Enceladus, confirmed. Yeah, I mean, he's a giant purple alien thing. I wouldn't doubt it. He was the first organism that we ever discovered on Enceladus was Grimace <laughs> to bring us his stupid happy birthday shake. Oh, guys, stay away from that.
Gosh, I don't know what's going on. Let's continue. Let's continue. You're right. You're right. I I apologize to the <laughs> listeners. Um. Okay. Let's let's move on to conclusions here. First of all, European Space Agency. They're sending out the Juice mission. Jupiter Icy Moons Explorer. It's one of the best acronyms. Oh, they're going to get the soda. It's like juice. Yeah. Come on. I know. I know. It's too perfect. But also like. We talk a lot on this podcast about bad acronyms. This is probably one of the best acronyms that we've heard. It's the Juice Mission. It's pretty. It's pretty good, because you know they make up words. We've got the what was the um, Hods last time? I hated that one. It doesn't roll off the tongue. It was the halogen containing ozone depleting substances. Hods. Oh, I just can't say it right. Maybe it's the Minnesota accent. But oh, I gotta bleep that out. People know where I'm from. Big, big Hods. Big. Uh, yeah, they're sending out that spacecraft to look for signs of life on the planet, and that launched actually already. Surprise! On April fourteenth of twenty twenty three, it launched. Um, but guess what? We gotta wait. I don't know if it's gonna take seven years like the last one, um, but probably similar. You know, they're not in a hurry to get there. They're probably using some sort of similar flight path to, you know, loop around the Earth and get accelerating in a certain direction or something. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, and that's, yeah, because now that we know that there's all this stuff for life, we can build, because Cassini didn't go out with the um, hopes to find life on Enceladus. They were just looking at Saturn and the Saturnian system. But now we know that there's a possibility. So we can build a spacecraft specifically. Now, again, this is Jupiter, but like we know that these ocean planets, uh, like the ones on Jupiter, harbor or could possibly harbor the beginnings of life so let's build spacecraft specifically to go find that are we talking wait wait are we talking about jupiter oh yeah yeah, yeah. okay it's I the I, I got confused too i had to um i had to make sure i was specific about that that it's the jupiter moons but um that's what's possible for the elf mission from nasa another win for acronyms the enceladus life finder mission elf so that's one is specifically going to enceladus kind of with the same thing i don't know if this is like hit the drawing board at nasa or anything but that's the one to look for in the future going to enceladus so that'd be pretty cool i mean i'm all for going to explore jupiter's moons too but we've already found them on the enceladus let's go back you know that's my opinion but yeah i guess we need to go see what's out there too you know yeah exactly now let's I'm going to wrap this up with two thoughts, Judd. Let's see if I can right. give a good wrap up. I, you know, for a while I was working out, I was trying to work out like something inspirational, like, okay, there's, there's life out there on Enceladus trying its best to get itself started, you know, day by day, moving further along in evolution, you know, just trying its best. And it's not, it's not becoming, you know, a giant intelligent species in one day. And so neither should you set unapproachable unattainable goals you know that are that are completely unreasonable bottom line is guys don't keep trying day by day get a little bit better just like the life all the life out there in the universe that's just trying a little bit you know one percent better over 365 gets you or one 365 or no no sorry 1.01 bro to the 365th power is 37 something and 99.99 
to the uh or 356 to the 900 so the point Dude, nine, shut no, i messed this up, up so many times no is like 0. 0.07 just get one percent better one percent on. better okay i will do that's it i will saying. that's all um, i'm saying to you each day now let's talk about life on its uh, uh bro we've been talking about life on enceladus i just say the stupidest tangents all right if if there was, let me tell you, Judd, if we found life on Enceladus, this is bigger than finding life on Mars. And let me tell you why. Earth and Mars cross-contaminated each other billions of years ago in the formation of the solar system. They traded nutrients. We know that. What did I say? I was talking about this earlier. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. It's single And single-celled organisms can survive the trip. You're a genius. Yeah. Yeah. Um, organic molecules can survive the trip in space. So if we know that Earth and Mars cross-contaminated each other, if something as far as Enceladus had life on it, that means that life on Earth and life on Enceladus started from two different origins. And what would that indicate for the rest of not only our solar system, but our galaxy and our universe? Is that life can have two origins or three origins or thousands and millions and billions of origins. It doesn't all have to come from the same place. And you might be thinking, well, duh. But we wouldn't have been thinking about that 20 years ago. We would have think it's all here. And did our life go anywhere else? Well, no, life can start anywhere. Life can just start. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy to think about. Yeah. Um, now, if that wasn't um, like... All I'm saying is people sleep... People are sleeping on these underwater geysers. Yes. Like... We need to say thank you to them. Like this is this may be how we were created. Like we started here, you know. Yeah. Thank an underwater geyser today. Let's put that. Oh my God, that's our first um t-shirt. T-shirt. <laughs> no way, dude. We made a t-shirt. That's it. Thank an underwater geyser today. Thank. Yeah, I can see it right now. And we actually, Judd, I'm working with a. I'm. I'm in communications from a guy from Austria who's a graphic designer who's gonna make us a new Spotify cover art. So get hyped for that too. Say it again. Sorry, you cut out. Sounds exciting. I mean, I'm, I'm ready for it. Yeah. So we're university is moving up, okay? We are backed by underwater geysers as a sponsor and we're, we're exploding just like life on Enceladus, maybe. Yeah, so I say buckle in because I mean, we're... We're blowing up right now, and it's 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 a good time to be a fan of university. You could because when we're big, when we are big, you get to be like, I was one of the I had followed them since they had this many subs and all that. You the get day to be one, those people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and hey, Judd, you were like the day one because you didn't you weren't always on this show, but you were probably that's like not true. The first I was there for the recording of the first episode. That's what I'm saying. Like you are the original day one. Before yeah, you were no, a host. Well, yeah. Oh, I was the first listener. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the day one. I was the first listener and the second host. Yeah. Third, I That's guess. If you, so yeah, maybe whatever. what that means, if we're going to draw conclusions, maybe if you're listening right now, that means it's not impossible that you could be a host someday. Yeah, no. Any listener could be a host or at least influence decisions made on the show. I know... We read a lot of the comments. We read a lot of the feedback. Pretty, all of it right now. There's oh, no yeah, bit to say, say we don't read all of it. So we read all of it. Give us some feedback. Give us some ideas for an episode. We love to hear what you're thinking. 
Yes, absolutely. And beyond that, let me introduce a new segment to you very quick, folks. And also on that comment thing, Judd, the only comments I don't read is the 200 comments that are asking for the song name on that one reel. It's like, look, somebody already answered it 12 times. Like you could just go no, be a hero. good interactions, and answer every I'm telling yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, hey, appreciate all of it. Thanks for stopping by. That's all that matters. But it's been real. This has been my favorite episode, I think, actually, even though it's virtual. Like, I'm just sitting here in my dark room staring oh, at so Judd on my computer. Back to the studio. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited. So too. ready to get back. I remember now. I was going to introduce a new segment that we're doing starting next episode. So tune your asses in right now. Listen, <laughs> if you would like to be featured on the show, leave us a DM on Instagram with your name, where you're from, optional, optional. Um, and like, not your address, don't send me your address, but like, say you're from Louisiana. That's cool. Say you're from Austria. That's cool. You know, don't say you're from like, insert Judson's address here. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to bleep that out. Yeah. You just leave a question, some kind of something for us to talk about. Yes. Leave us a question. And we'll answer it at the end of the show. Or if you're feeling nice, just leave a comment on the show or a fun story about a time you're listening to it or whatever. Leave us something to read thoughts about the show even tell us that we suck that the music sucks tell us that you hate our guts and you hate our voices and you think that judson smells even just listening to him we'll read it that's okay that's my joke sounds good um <laughs> no we will i i this is gonna be a fun segment and there's a chance for people to get involved so please do and submit something Yes. Okay. So, yeah. So, like I said, DM us on Instagram. Uh, that's a bit basically the only reason way you can reach us right now. But yeah, that's gonna end the show for us. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to thank uh, your local geyser. Right? Is that what we said? Your local geyser. Go find the nearest one to you. Thank your nearest geyser. Yeah. All right. Um, and stay tuned for that merch. I guess. All right. Until next time, guys. Peace. Peace.